Hello, Secret Keepers. Do you hear that? The song of success. I wanna be the very best, like Kai Buddy long ago. To tap lands is my real test. To draw them, well, I hope so. I will draw all the lands. Wait, no, just enough. To teach my family to understand the prize pool is that high. MTG, professionally. I totally did waste my teens, MTG. Oh, let me draw my lands, but please God, not too many. MTG. That's right today, folks. We are talking to Rising Star in the competitive Match of the Gathering scene, David Shank, a.k.a. Shank Pig, about his road to the Pro Tour. So that and so much more on today's episode of the Mega Moth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Don't tell anybody about the singing. Welcome back to the show, Secret Keepers. I'm your host, Socrates in the street, Plato in the sheets, Joel Watts, as always, joined by... Amateur historian and podcaster, Danny. Oh, man. Yeah, no, great history lesson last time, Danny. I think oh. we'll probably talk a little bit about that here in just a moment. But I want to also introduce our guest today. Uh, today, we are joined by David Shank, a.k.a. Shank Pig, uh, on the socials. What's up today, David? Not much. It's just another day. Really excited to be here with you guys. It's a really busy time for me, as you know, because I'm preparing for the U.S. Regional Championship in Denver, which is my chance to qualify for the Pro Tour. Nice. Yeah, we're going to be talking all about the Pro Tour today with you um, and your journey through Magic the Gathering, as well as how... Mm -hmm the competitive path to magic has changed since the disillusion and reinstitution of the pro tour. And maybe we'll get into some high level takes on X seekers of fortune as well. But before we get into all that seriousness, let's get a silly question out of the way, sort of loosen things up. Sound good guys. Is, is it going to be sillier than that intro? That intro <laughs> no, <is> actually the <laughs> spectacle to behold. If, if anything, this is actually like a, a fairly serious question of the week. Okay, well yes, then let's get this out of the way here real quick. So yeah, like that was that was very unexpected. Joel blindsided us with that. He uh, <laughs> insisted that uh, we do not look at his show notes, and then laid that on us. And it was uh, probably the most exciting thing that's going to happen to me this year. So it's all downhill from here. Well, no, Danny, we're going up. That this is this is unlock something inside of me. The Our production value of this podcast. Yes, our stock is All rising. Right. All right. All well, right. Shank's here to bail us out, so let's hear the question. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so this week's question, pretty easy. You know, you have that competitive spirit inside of you, Shank. And I think Danny and I, mm -hmm. you know, we're we're both designers and competitors in our own right. So we might as well. What what do we have inside of us? What is our, as they say, spirit animal that we, we grasp onto in order to, you know, unlock the eye of the tiger? Shank, what is your spirit animal? So this may be an unexpected answer for you guys, but my <laughs> mm -hmm. spirit answer, spirit animal is actually the hedgehog. Oh, really? And we got to go fast. That is because <laughs> when I was younger, I was a little, a uh, mm -hmm. little stockier, had a little bit of a ball shape to me and I had <laughs> oh. super spiky hair. So 
my family would endearingly call me Hedgy as a <laughs> nickname. I love it. And okay. yeah, I've just, I always had a little stuffed animal hedgehog as a kid and I've loved hedgehogs always. They're so cute. Um, so yeah, that, that's my spirit animal. Nice. So when you think of a hedgehog, you're probably one of the few Americans who thinks of the actual animal versus the blue, you know, what the blue lightning bolt Sonic, Sonic. hedgehog. I'm... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm, where I'm, the... so mm-hmm. go ahead, Danny. Well, I was going to ask about the pig. Like, where does the pig enter the equation? Yeah. So, so shank pig comes from an old username I used to have on all my online accounts. Mm-hmm. And that username mm-hmm. was Goat Pig. And, <laughs> and that came because my best friend growing up, who I played all these different online games with, his username was always Goose. And I saw Goose, I was like, I want a farm animal too. So I'm going to do Goat Pig, that's available. <laughs> and so Goat Pig's just stuck with me for since I was like eight years old. And then when I was going to create my personal brand, I was like, well, I kind of want to have something that's attached to my real name in there. So I'll just, instead of goat pig, I'll do shank pig. And that's how it was born. Love it. All right. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. See, I thought, I thought you were actually going to go with uh pig, you know, a pig. I was like, going to be like, that's very interesting. But uh, the, the hedgehog strikes me out of nowhere. Now my family, my brother was so into Sonic the hedgehog or maybe even more more so shadow the hedgehog i I don't want Uh i I fear i'm about to face a libel suit by saying that publicly but we'll see but my brother was so into sonic that we actually got a hedgehog and my family does not have the best relationships with hedgehog because that that little guy was a complete (laughs) jerk um and he just it was like very hard to take care of We, we you know it's like we got one with an attitude we got a true shadow we didn't get a sonic there you go um Mm-hmm. But you see, I mean, much to be more, fair, you know. I've never, I've never had a real hedgehog as a pet. I've just had like mm-hmm. fifty stuffed animal hedgehogs. So yeah, I didn't know I'm that really they were around like for pets. I didn't realize that was like even something that you could easily acquire. Mm-hmm. You just get it at like a normal yeah. pet store. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember where we got it exactly. I presume it was like a PetSmart situation, but I'm sure it's like somewhere. There's a slight, it's slightly up the exotic trek i wouldn't recommend anybody get exotic pets uh, after you know all the exposure we've had through uh what tiger king and things like that it's just like there's certain we've already sorted out the animals that want to coexist with us let's just stick with those my favorite is like that one guy who like was found dead in his like truck in uh like a home depot parking lot and like he had like a pet cobra that had escaped it's like i don't know what you're doing with a cobra in a truck in a home depot parking lot but (laughs) Mm. Seems exactly. like a I, bunch of poor decision making leading up to that event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just no reason for anybody to have a cobra. Like the one of the, our biggest fears as humans is being locked in the same room as a snake and to purposely put the snake inside of your car, unless it was an assassination. Don't don't count that out. Somebody could yeah. have thrown Whoa. that cobra into the truck and he didn't expect it. You know, rattlesnake in the mailbox style. That's true. How many people do you think have been assassinated by random stake placement? Is that like a thing? You think that happens a lot? I, I, I feel like the invention of like first the knife and then the gun probably brought that that figure down immensely. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, this is so much easier. But I think there was a time in human history where, you know what? I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to throw a snake in his bedroom and he's not going to see it coming. 
Like you, you think know, that it's like, people I don't have... had bedrooms mm-hmm. before they had knives? Yes. <laughs> I, they didn't call them maybe... bedrooms, but they they were the room that you went in to sleep. Like the cave. Like yeah. A burrow? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Shanks, mm. uh, like I don't I don't know what this podcast is about anymore. <laughs> See, I think it's it's, like it's about a low inconsistent. <laughs> kill rate because the snake you don't know mm-hmm. what it's gonna do maybe it like goes after the wrong person yeah and it's yeah like, so it's like i don't know what why do you think we invented the knife <laughs> someone's like we need a more efficient snake here's what i got yeah. yes yeah. it took me a long time i rubbed i rubbed rock against other rock for many hour but it can it can take off you know somebody's head um okay we so we got the hedgehog from from david uh, Danny, do you want to go next? Your animal? Yeah, this, is gonna, this is gonna be a hot take for some portion of the audience, um, but I am going to choose um, a, like a person, just like a human. A human? Oh wow! Your spirit animal is yeah. a human. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe Charles Darwin, but I don't. Maybe a different one. I don't know. Oh, is <laughs> that more of like a, a spiritual mentor? No, no, no. He's my spirit animal. Okay. Darwin. So, so what about him uh, over like a wolf? Over like a or wolf? Or Albert Einstein. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like uh, his beard would be like really fun to play with. And, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> keep getting, okay. It would give me something to do while I'm waiting to see whether or not my, my snake assassination attempt is a success. Or if I need to find another... Uh, Cobra. I think we have different. Uh, <laughs> we have different. Um, I guess uh, theories about the metaphysical s- spiritual world because I would think you couldn't play with Dar- Charles Darwin's beard, but you know, I guess we you know might have read different texts on that one. You don't um, think that his <laughs> Darwin. beard is available for for playing with it, in the spirit realm? Like what, what's what's going it on? It would be a spiritual beard. Yeah. Physical. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I, I, you know, I kind of go with the Star Wars, you know, ghostly, you know, thing where it's like, yo, if you reached up to the beard, you would just pass through it. But maybe if you yourself are on the spiritual plane with him, you know, through meditation, deep meditation, then maybe you could interact. Yeah, okay. definitely some astral projection going on in that, that beard play. <laughs> that reminds me, I had a friend who loved it when I, like, we would just hang out on the couch and I would just play with his hair, you know, just like scratching his head and stuff. It kind of reminds me of that. And yeah, that's a very comforting thing that I think we're not enough, you know, guys do together. Play with your your dude friend's hair, <laughs> you know, rub their scalp. It'll make y'all happy. That's like what you're keeping good. Do, head right? massages are great. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, great. I know. And totally, you know, just totally like cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Danny, I have to admit, you kind of stole a little bit of my th- thunder there because I decided to look up a fact, and I was also going to choose humans because you know who the biggest predator of eagles are? Joel. Humans. Yes. Um, but <laughs> the Tiger King. I mean, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I think I think this has come up before, and I, I do very much relate to bears. Bears are. Their sleeping patterns, just the fact that they're, you know, they they get fed and they protect their kids and then they sleep. It just seems like the perfect the perfect life, perfect existence. They uh, they maul Leonardo DiCaprio in the woods violently. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I can be down with being a bear or you know pulling upon the strength of a bear. So what's up with this? Neither of you said moth. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> what's up with the moth? 
The moth, the moth has always been somewhat of a random assignment. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> we, uh, by the time we got to naming the company, we were so exhausted from naming things in the game that we more or less were like the first thing that we heard that we were like, yeah, we can go with that. We went with. Like, we we, we mm -hmm. didn't like. There's not like some great like symbolic story. Like we've come up with a lot to explain what we think about the moth now, but mm -hmm. a lot of it is uh, post hoc. What is what 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 is it when you uh, you come up with your explanation after the fact? You know, like you, to justify your decision. That's a lot of what's oh, going on here. Yeah, all right, gotcha, gotcha. I, I mean, it's a I would I would argue right? that. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that I would argue that most human decision making is post hoc. You know, we we, we do something and then we justify it later. <laughs> but I think it yeah. was like it was very it was like within the same conversation. Like we we had like a list of things. We were just rattling off like things that sounded good together. Mega Moth came up. We moved away from it uh, for like thirty minutes, and we the one of us was just like, "Wasn't Mega Moth a really good one?" And we we're like, "Yeah, it was." And I think before we had locked it in, we were like, "Yeah," because we could see like a moth in front of. Like the thing was, it was like a moth in front of a light with the the shadow being cast behind it being huge, and that that's like what creates the mega moth. And I don't oh, know how cool. quickly in my in my brain, it's like we decided once we came up with that imagery, it was like okay, we can lock in on the mega moth. Mm -hmm. But um, I think uh, you know uh, the way that you know, in case you haven't heard the story through uh, one of our other shows, I'm sure we've said it before, but you know that is like our feeling towards playing games like when you sit down to play a game you know you're taking the seat and becoming something bigger than yourself or something you can't really be in real life you know uh, yeah. uh, in magic a planeswalker in our game an adventure you know an adventurer um so you know in dungeons and dragons you you know you could become a, a, a dwarf cleric who can heal the you know heal the sick and raise the dead so you know that's sort of totally. like that idea of like the shadow you cast behind you is bigger than yourself when you're sitting at the table Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quests, unlocking hidden secrets, and discovering untold riches? Dive into the world of X, Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, I think we're ready to get into the main topic today, uh, Shank, David. You know, thank you for joining us. And so in case the audience didn't surmise from this, you are a you are a person who's playing magic at the competitive level and you're on your way and, you know, an event, potentially an event away from joining the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour. So we just like kind of wanted to walk through your journey and also, you know, see where things are with the competitive scene of magic, because I know it's gone through some, you know, some tribulations in the past, you know, few years, especially uh, through the COVID uh, pandemic and uh, the acquisition of uh, Wizards of the Coast by Hasbro. So we just wanted to see where things were and where they are now. But why don't we start out with your origin story, David? We always like to, you know, kind of bring it back down to like how you got started. So um, I always like to ask, did you grow up in a gaming family? Yeah. I, I did. I, I grew up in a board game family. Mm -hmm. So okay. since, since I was young, I always played board games with my family. And me and my brother would play video games. So mm -hmm. it was always like, <laughs> it was always kind of like me and my brother were hiding from my parents, trying to play the video games as much as we could because we just loved it. 
and <laughs> they were getting tired of how much time we were spending on that. Mm-hmm. But, like, get down here and play Monopoly with the rest of the family. <laughs> or just like, hey, get the hell outside. Stop playing so many mm. games. Yeah. So, What were some of the games that your board game family was playing with y'all? So we, we played Monopoly. I think the first mm-hmm. kind of intro to strategy games was like Settlers of Catan. Uh, and that was when yes. I was really young. I was like eight or nine, I think. And then my my mom's best friend, they were she and her family were a big board game family, and they introduced us to this game called Agricola. Have you guys heard of it? Mm-mm. No, what is so, that? No, I haven't. So Agricola is a worker placement game. It's also kind of like an engine building game. And the theme is you are a farmer in like the Middle Ages or something. And you're trying to build this farm up. You can collect sheep, you can collect cattle, you can grow crops, you can expand your house. So it was this very complex strategy board game. And that's kind of where my infatuation with strategy games began and where I kind of got hooked on that competitive side of things. Awesome. So would you consider Agricola to be your favorite game before you discovered Magic the Gathering? Yeah, it might be my favorite board game of all time. Ooh. Wow. Is it that's available high, to play online? So it's interesting. So it it was definitely a physical game first, mm-hmm. but because I was so into it, I did find this online community that had created it online, similar to how you have Tabletop Simulator. But it was even more yeah. rudimentary than that. So I was playing <laughs> uh-huh. it online with people because I wanted to get better and like beat my family next time I played them. So <laughs> just grinding, so, just grinding for the family yeah. game night. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I love it. I was like fourteen. Dang. Okay. So you, you, that, that definitely explains. Like you've been, you've been spiky for a, a while. Uh, hence the hedgehog. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> There you well, go. <laughs> well, if I could just ask real quick, Joel, before we move on, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry if I yes. missed this. So, what is the flavor of Agricola? It's farmers. It's like okay. 1800s oh, okay. farmers. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Is it like European or American farmers? Yeah, it's like European. It's hard to tell if it's like Middle Ages or like, like early Renaissance, but it's like mm-hmm. very. You feel like a small farmer with very few resources like this isn't like subsistence farming at its best (laughs) yeah yeah it's not it's not like you have you know your 30 plows mowing across the lane it's like you got basic materials yeah like (laughs) you're having kids in order to like you know diversify your workforce i'm sure no exactly that's a mechanic you can have kids and then you get more workers and that was actually my like keynote that was my signature strategy is I was build out the maximum family <laughs> slot as fast as possible. And then I would have this huge <laughs> army of workers to do stuff with. Just, you know, he likes to get busy. The 14 wants to get busy. The more fields to plow than just the one outside. <laughs> oh, God. All right. There you go. One second. We should, uh, <laughs> we should definitely play that, uh, that game if we can find it. I think that would be a fun one to play with Kia. As well, it sounds like oh, there's yeah. some interesting mechanics to... to... Yeah, because uh, would you say game. it's... it's uh, What is it? Sellers of Catan-like? Like, it's almost like the farmer version of Sellers or like at that level? 
It's definitely more. It's definitely more advanced than Settlers of Catan. Oh, okay. It's a okay. it's a complex board game. Like, obviously, you guys would pick it up, but for someone who's never played a big board game before, it might be a little hard to pick up. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for someone who's played lots of board games before, yeah, you can pick it up pretty easy. It just take. There's a lot of rules. You'd be shocked okay. by how few board games we've played. I think a lot of people <laughs> play would. a lot more board games. I've never played Settlers of Catan. <laughs> Yeah. Like I, uh, I'm starting to play games now because of uh, TikTok. Like we randomly uh-huh. ended up on board game TikTok, so I feel obligated to to start playing more games. Joel's played more than I have, I think, but mm-hmm. he's played Settlers. Yeah, I have a few. You know, I I have like friends who our primary way of you know interacting is playing games, so they've definitely introduced mm-hmm. me to ones like you know I, I've played Code Names, I played Settlers of Catan, I played Red Dragon Inn. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, it's a. I mean, it's just a great game. I would highly recommend it. Cool. Well, I'm I'm going to be looking out for it because that definitely sounds like a little hidden gem right there. I love the idea of like you know I'm a big, res- like the reason we love MTG is because it's kind of at the core a resource management game, and uh, this sounds yeah. like like literally a resource management game. One hundred percent. One of the things I love about Magic and something that we, we took as major inspiration when we were making Ex-Seekers of Fortune will continue to do so is just the idea that like everything is a resource. Like I think one of the biggest level up moments in Magic is when you realize life is just a resource and it doesn't matter whether you have 20 life or one life as long as you uh, have cards left in your deck and your opponent either is uh, milled out or, you know, yeah. lifeless. And uh, Totally. It, Protecting life arbitrarily, I think, is something you do a lot when you're early on. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to lose any of my life. And it's like, yeah, take it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just yeah, progressing my game plan. <laughs> early on, you yeah. see that as who's winning the game. Yeah. Whoever has more mm-hmm. life is winning. But that's yeah. not the reality. No, it's definitely mm-hmm. not. I think when and you I go up have against a, your first... I have a similar uh, analog with X Seekers of Fortune where I think early... I saw whoever has more adventures completed is winning, but that's not how I see the game now. There's more nuance to it than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a multivariable it equation that you have to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I definitely have a lot of questions I'd like to pick your brain about on that topic later, but I would like to continue along Joel's line of questioning here because he's uh, yeah. interrogator in chief. Well, thank you, counselor. Um, Yeah, well, I guess to, you know, to bridge us into the main topic, um, at what age did the devil's cardboard call you? (laughs) So the devil's cardboard was at my doorstep for a while because my older brother, I have one sibling, older brother, he's Mm -hmm. three years older than me. He had just some random magic cards lying around when I was like eight or nine. And he didn't really know how to play, I think. But mm-hmm. I think he just like got them at the store, a couple booster packs. So I, from an early age, had like seen the artwork and thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. When I really got into the game was my senior year of high school. I was 18. And one day at school, I just heard some friends talking about magic and talking about, hey, I just, I just beat Colby with my elf deck with my goblin deck Mm -hmm. and i was like wait a minute magic my friends are playing magic i kind of know how to play this game i want to i'm good at games like i can be cool i can play with them maybe i can beat them and Mm -hmm. so that was when i really started playing i would just hang out with 
four or five friends on a Saturday and all day we would just play magic. And since I was getting in so many reps with it, I really started to mm -hmm. learn the rules and I got curious, like, how, this is so complicated. I don't know everything. And that's where I started mm -hmm. to learn all the rules and develop a taste for the competitive side of magic. Do you know yeah. what those booster packs were that your brother had? Do you know what set it was from? He had stuff from Mirrodin, 7th edition, maybe even Homelands. It was pretty early. That's cool. Oh, wow. So you, you yeah. did have like the, the diversity of the old card frames and the newer card frames. Or the, you know, I post, did, yeah. What, I think edition? I still have some yeah. basic lands in my collection that have the white border. What was Ooh, your first favorite card? My first favorite card was Fusion Elemental. It's <laughs> white, blue, black, red, green for a vanilla 8-8. And I just thought it was oh. so cool that it had every color of mana in it. I was like, oh, this is a thing. And I built a whole deck that was just based on getting five colors of mana. So I cast my five mana, eight, eight. That's a straight <laughs> up early did that happen? deck. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you actually get to cast the fusion elemental with that deck? Or was it just a Absolutely, dream? yeah. But then they yeah. used the two mana... Uh -huh removal spell on it yeah. i lost the game but whatever <laughs> yeah. uh, what, would, what would that what would be a good one the terror you know a casual exactly you know, i don't uh, think terror can yeah. no target non-black or black yeah i think so oh you're I think correct you would be like go creature, for the throat so... or something yeah yeah or terminate okay. terminate yeah terminate would get it done well, or murder you, could, you know three men just pass them you path know path exile yeah. Swords to plowshare. You, know, you go play Agricola. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. That that should be the text on Swords to plowshare from here on out. You know, create a sub game of Agricola, and the winner of that game has to come back to this game with and and pull a land out of their deck. Like search for a basic land to put it into play after you've played a full game of Agricola. Plow target um, field. Yeah. So I wanted to ask. Because this is something that always fascinates me. Um, the, the journey from starting Magic the Gathering to like feeling like you're at a level where you can actually play the real game of Magic the Gathering. So for me, you know, I started, I think it was like either junior, I think it was junior year. Like everybody came back from Christmas break and they had all dipped back into their Magic um, uh, what is it? You know their magic addiction. Sure. Essentially, they had all they had all you know started playing again mm -hmm. after they had stopped in, in middle school. And I had wanted to learn to play for many years, just like you. I had cards around, nobody yeah. to teach me. Uh, magic the Gathering is not an easy game to learn on your own, and there's not that at the time not that many resources out there to learn. So finally, I had people who were playing. I went home and made a 75 green or like basically a 75 card deck with every green and red spell I had, and probably not enough land. But over the course of like that semester, I went from playing, you know, kitchen table magic or lunchroom table magic, I should probably say, to uh -huh. playing at a point where I was being, you know, talked to by the people who played standard competitively. And like they were actually showing me like that next level. And then I shortly after got my first girlfriend and <laughs> put the game down for a few, a few too many years. Um, but how long would you say it took you from being like, you know, kitchen table to like F&M? capable yeah so so it's an interesting arc for me so i learned the basics of like casting spells and creature combat around when i was 14 or 15 end of middle school so maybe maybe 13 or 14 and okay. that was with my friend goose actually we played <laughs> just the two of us and we played with my brother a little bit but that was very rudimentary it was kind of 
I kind of saw it as just like another board game at that point. There was, it was just made out of cards, not a mm -hmm. board. So yeah. similar to Agricola. And it, it was fun, but I put it down for a while. So then it was put it down for a few years. And then that was when, you know, senior year of high school, I was 18. That's when kind of my ramp up to competitive started. So I think I heard my friends talking about magic for the first time at school early my senior year. So sometime August, September. By March, April of the next year, I was going to F&M drafts, playing with friends there, winning some drafts, going 3-0 at some drafts, um, and really just like diving into the competitive scene as much as I could. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, we're about to get into the, like, go hard and heavy on the competitive scene, but I think there's a couple more yeah. questions just to endear you to the magic audience, especially the more casual magic audience that we kind of wanted to cover. We've sort of talked about your first favorite card and things like that, but, you know, we might as well ask, what is, like, what is your color identity as a person in Magic the Gathering? So for me, it's absolutely green <laughs> because I grew up in a very rural area that was surrounded by forests. Oh, nice. And so the forest has always been like a safe space for me where if something was going on at home or at school, I could kind of just run into the woods and feel just embraced by the trees and, and the squirrels and the birds. And nice. so in magic, I've always been I've always gravitated towards green creature decks, generated a bunch of mana. I've always loved that stuff. So here's a question Are you that is a little off topic, but did you ever see anything crazy in the woods? I one time got lost in a park because mm -hmm. I went off trail like usual and a deer ran like four feet in front of me in thick bush. So I, I didn't see it coming. It just went like, wow. and if it knocked into me, it would have like, I don't know, hit me on my ass it. really bad. <laughs> that's yeah. probably, that's one of the craziest things I've seen. Okay. Okay. Darn. We were hoping for Bigfoot, but we'll take a really I've been close watching deer. a lot of Bigfoot videos. I've been watching a lot yeah. of Bigfoot videos. <laughs> Your son is Sadly, like on a Bigfoot kick, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I've been listening to Bigfoot Society podcast <laughs> and watching a bunch of random vis vid videos of, of fuzzy brown fur at a distance with a shaky camera and glowing <laughs> eyes in the night. People howling, mm. you know? Yeah. So okay. I was hoping I was hoping David would drop a, drop a bomb on us, but... <laughs> No Bigfoot evidence, huh? <laughs> no. Sadly not. What's your favorite green creature? Yeah. Ooh. Favorite green creature has got to be Birds of Paradise because oh. one mana, tap for any color of mana, helps me cast my fusion elemental. There you go. I was having a yeah, pretty nice relationship that. with the Paradise <laughs> I would I would love it like you're you're sitting down to play like competitive modern or even legacy and you you know you put out the birds of paradise and they're like oh this guy knows what he's doing and then you build up to essentially use the birds of paradise to play the fusion elemental and they're just like what is going on? <laughs> that bird's this getting like five D touch yeah yeah like what am I, I kidding? Shall like, test that, that one for you should <laughs> mm -hmm. is, 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 is the the fusion elemental is not modern legal is it I think it is. It is. Yes, it's shards of Alara. Oh, then it's definitely modern legal. Yeah. 
-hmm. Although I doubt there's ever been a deck that plays it in modern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no no uh, one's going not. for the, the, the eight, eight vanilla creature. <sighs> and why not? That's what magic should be. Come on, people. Okay, that's, that's Timmy. Um, Bring back vanilla uh, just, creatures. Come on. Yeah. So obviously, you've obviously played the um, competitive versions of Magic, and we'll get into those formats. But do you also play, you know, the the most universal way of playing Magic, Commander? I don't actually. I've I've played oh. it before. Mm -hmm. I played it with those friends from high school because that was an easy yeah. way to play. But mm -hmm. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't. Haven't really been that drawn to it ever. If I want to play more on the casual side. I'll do like a draft or a vintage cube draft or some other kind of cube draft, but mm -hmm. I I don't play commander. I think it's cool. Okay. I think it's awesome for people that do play, but it's not really my thing. Gotcha. I like commander. Have but you? I, I, for me, vintage cube draft is the pinnacle of like casual magic fun. Like I yeah. Mm -hmm. Limited is. Have is you played? My, my uh, aside from the vintage cube have you played other interesting cubes that have like a, any particular themes to them not particularly the closest thing to mm -hmm. that was when i was 18 or 19 and just created a bunch of packs with a bunch of random commons and uncommons i had i didn't even know cube was a thing but i was just like hey guys let's draft i don't want to buy packs so we're just going to use all my crappy cards and that was like a quote unquote cube draft before I even knew what it was. So that, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, right now the, uh, the arena cube is up on arena and, uh, mm -hmm. every now and then I'll check in with, with the arena cube and like early on, it was just like cards from like the last three sets. So like it kind of sucked, but now like it's got quite a few cards that you would want you know the onslaught fetches are there now you've got all the pain lands oh, they put the titans in um snaps in there liliana i mean like it's starting to feel closer to a modern cube it's not quite there mm -hmm. yet but um mm -hmm. you know it, it's definitely better than it was in the early days when like i forget what what was the first set that was on on arena was it uh i know amonkhet and like shadows were over innistrad were like kind of in its beta phase and then i don't know if it was ixalan or was maybe the first it might have been ixalan yeah gosh yeah an environment where yeah. ixalan makes up the majority of the cards is not an environment that not 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 yeah. rivals of ixalan or, or lost caverns of ixalan but ixalan itself the, i just the original i feel ixalan, like there's been yeah. did not like times, that set at all yeah there's been many times in magic's history where it's like the current what is it you know like the next set to come out is going to coincide with some big event and they're supposed to like just go like that together and often it's like you know the the set that they have designed just you know like totally dive well, bombs happened, into like this new launch that happened when they went from the three block structure to the two block and then they because uh -huh. in mid mid design for battle for zendikar uh and uh uh, the gate watch. What was that? Oath of the gate watch. Is Earth that what that set was called? Yeah. Yeah. The, they had gone, it was, they were in the three block model and then they switched to two blocks and that, that whole block was a complete mess. Do you remember playing with the void and, and, uh, yeah. So I, I was, I was drafting yeah. at F and M's at that point, And I remember, mm. I think it was like battle for Zendikar. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was oath of the gate watch. No, I think it was battle for Zendikar. Green was just, 
unplayable. Completely unplayable. They do that every now and then where they'll just... I I think where they often get in trouble is when they try to create synergistic limited environments where they don't put enough support in it. So you end up like with people like... I remember in original Ixalan, everyone would be fighting over blue-green merfolk because that was like really the only deck that could really do things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd have to get really lucky to... You know, even a, a, a like a, a mid-tier merfolk deck in that limited environment felt like way better than vampires or dinosaurs or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always tough when it do that does that because I love draft and limited because you can do so many different things. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like theoretically it's the best. It, 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 it's theoretically I always say draft is the best format for playing Magic in my opinion. It's the way the game should be played, but. It has to be backed up with an amazing draft set, and you don't get cons of Tarkir all that often, you know, mm-hmm. an S tier. You're lucky if you're like playing a B tier draft environment. Uh, and I've heard of some real stinkers out there, and it's just like, just imagine like they they roll out a new set, and it's just like, oh, so this is going to be the next like four months or three months of drafting. I guess I'm <laughs> tapping out for a time. You know, it can really cause you to lose like you know mo- you know momentum as a player if you're not enjoying the dra- current draft environment. What was your totally. last draft environment that you thought was truly awesome? Truly awesome? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. I I really liked March of the Machine. Okay. That was a really fun one. I, I wish I got to play more of that. It was... I wasn't fully into my competitive thing as I am now, so I didn't play it that much, but I, I played... Mm-hmm. A handful of drafts, March of the Machine. That was very, very fun. Okay, yeah. I'm trying to think what else I've 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 drafted later. I, I did. I I my last. I've been kind of on a, a break from new Magic releases since uh, Brothers War. I would say like I mm-hmm. drafted a lot of Dominarity United, and then um, dropped off on Brothers War. I think I just kind of got burnt out for a time. Actually, it's probably well, more was than that also around the time X we started of Fortune. Dis- yeah, exactly what I was going to say. I mean that that yeah, when yeah, we first designed X Secrets of Fortune, it was the only game we could play because we, you know, we had to bang our heads against a very mediocre game to make it a very good game. You know, mm-hmm. so you, and that's just like what game design is. If you if you're playing any other games while you're designing a game, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> Unless but it's I like research. I do like you know, kind of like coming in after the fact when when they get. Um, when the sets end up on quick draft on arena and just getting a chance to like feel out the, the limited environment. Like I mm-hmm. did a Theros Reborn that way and uh, Throne of Eldraine, the original Eldraine set that oh, way yeah. and enjoyed both those play environments but didn't get to play them when they were the, uh, the mm-hmm. set. Um, yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah, arena so. has just made drafting so much more accessible. I love it for that. A hundred percent. That's that's what that's what Arena's place is. I mean, you can't get everything you want out of it. MTGO is really still the only place to get like you know the vintage cube experience or yeah. you know modern or playing legacy, practicing modern, yeah, yeah modern legacy. as well. Do you think modern will end yeah. up on Arena eventually? I mean, right now they're trying I don't to know. pioneer on, right? I think it's they are trying to kind of converge Explorer and Pioneer mm-hmm. Explorer is Arena's version, mm-hmm. and I think it's mm-hmm. possible. I think it's in the cards. But it it's very difficult to say because modern is such a huge backlog of cards. It would take them a long time, so they'd really have to commit to it. I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm. Some of the older carts probably don't work well with the engine. Could Possibly. Be. You think they would have really designed the engine to work with anything from the past, except for maybe, was it Shiraz or things like that? Like the, the cards that just yeah, that nobody wants to see played. Chaos Orb. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was going to ask, uh, uh, well, A, like, yeah, I, I almost had to deinstall Arena because when I first got into drafting on Arena, it was like, I, I don't have the finances at this time in my life to be able to play as much draft as I desire to. So I, I, it's like, well, those things, if I go in on magic, I have to go all in and I'm not yeah. at a place in my life where I can, but I'm, it's good to know that, you know, my drafting muscle can be itched or my drafting, you know, drafting can, you know, do that for me. Uh, and been, it's waiting there for an arena. I've been doing pretty well right. here. Cause I, I started when they put cons on arena, I drafted a bunch of cons and that was like the first time I'd played magic in probably like a year and a half, like limited magic. And then, mm -hmm. um, now I've been doing the 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 arena cube. I've done pretty well at going infinite. I feel like I've probably like eighty percent of the the drafts I've done, I've got my money back. So I mean, it's nice. it's been going far. <laughs> just that's the best yeah. feeling when you're just playing with the house money. When you're just drafting over and over mm -hmm. again, you get your entry fee back, and you're like, all right, that's all I needed. I need my five wins, and I'm good to go. You know. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, I really should it. go for it. Yeah, I wonder if I I wonder if I'm a better player than I used to be now that I've actually gone under the hood with another game. Um, well, we can get to that here in just a moment, though. But I did have one last what I called the Magic the Gathering astrology questions to ask you before we get into the next section, and that was you know seeing as you're a competitive player, you psych mm -hmm. uh, was it the psychographs that Mark Rosewater lays out. You're definitely first and foremost a spike. Do you have yep. a sub a sub psychograph that you relate to? And we're going to expand this to also include, uh, I believe it's Melvin and Vorthros. And I think Vorthros, there's another yeah. one that Danny just recently discovered. Other than Melvin or Vorthros? I thought there was. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. There's there's one I read about the other day, but I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast or to you. But And I don't okay. remember exactly what it was, but it was Can like a hybrid one. But. Can you uh, oh, they... explain to me Melvin and Thros? Because I'm just familiar with Timmy Johnny and Spike. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So Melvin is the magic player who's primarily interested in the mechanics. Like they just want to play with interesting mechanics. I think they're the ones that, um, I think that they're probably related to Johnny, but they're less interested in, you know, coming up with the crazy combo and more interested in just, you know, playing with whatever mechanic they think is cool. So I think synergy decks probably are something they're into, but maybe not mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. necessarily with the same sort of ambition that Johnny brings to the table. And then Vorthros is just like all about lore, like loves the flavor text, loves the art, doesn't okay. really care whether the cards are good, just plays with what they want to. Yeah, that, yeah I'm, I'm I kind of think of... I was just going to yeah. say really quick, I do yeah, think yeah. of like Melvin, I think you, you kind of identified it, Danny, as like being what Johnny, but with like, you know, more like a more concentrated or, you know, version of Johnny and um, uh, Vorthros being like a theater kid version of Timmy almost. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's I love it. Maybe a way of saying it. What were you saying, David? What, what, what is the uh, the verdict on your? So, your so in that case, I'm, I'm a melting spike. <laughs> I love my mechanics. I love my mechanics. Like the five color was like the five color is a perfect example of that. It's like, wait, there's a spell that costs all five colors of mana. I'm going to figure out a way to play that. And 
it wasn't really about like comboing or showing other people what my deck did. It's just like, I want to make this thing work. And I've kind of always been that way about mechanics. I love when there's a new mechanic comes out that I've never seen before. It's like, whoa, what does this do? So I like Melvin. What, I like Spike. What What is your uh, favorite mechanic of all time? Ooh, my favorite mechanic. That is a tough question. There's so many. And I like so many of them. This is a controversial one, but I really like Frexian mana. <laughs> that is Obviously, very it's broken. Yeah. Obviously, it's broken in some cases. So Frexian mana, I think it's great. It's I love having those options for how you pay for your spells. Yeah, and I think it's really cool because it kind of reminds you that like life is a resource. So it's it could be unintuitive for a newer player to do it that way, but I think it's really cool design what space. Is- what is your favorite Phyrexian mana card? Ooh, that is a tough one. I think it's going to be, what's the green pump spell called? When uh, was it printed? Was it like in... in uh... It was in the original. It's, it's green. It's one green Phyrexian to give target oh. creature plus two plus two. Oh, I don't, I don't remember which one that um, is. Mutagenic growth. I mutagenic think mutagenic growth, growth. Yeah, yeah. I've got a bunch yeah. of those. Probably I, just it's like the green greens version of broken Phyrexian things. My my favorite Phyrexian mana spell is uh, Phyrexian Metamorph. I love Phyrexian Metamorph. Oh, yeah. interesting. It's just so versatile. Yeah, uh, being able to to copy the artifacts. I love. I also love Clever Impersonator just because it can hit anything. But that's obviously not a Phyrexian card, but. Yeah, yeah. Phyrexian metamorph. metamorph. I don't cast it. Yeah, it's a it. It's just so versatile, and uh, being able to like cast any creature on the field for three colorless mana is pretty pretty solid. Uh (laughs) Yeah, I love that card too. Yeah, so that that that's uh, for me. I think that uh, my favorite mechanic is storm. Just because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love I love the feeling of like, are we going to do this? Like, is this going to happen or are we going to completely just fall flat on our face and like trying to pull together like, a, you know, a, a, a storm deck in a vintage cube and like trying to get the yep. pieces and like, how good is it going to be? You know, because it can be can be, you know, amazing or it can be complete garbage and you don't know until like that third pack. But, you know, it's like, are you going to get the turnabout? Are you going to get enough? Uh, uh, rituals, you know, how are you going to mm-hmm. put it all together? It's, it's such a delicate balance. There's like a recipe for a nice storm deck, uh-huh. right? Like your yeah, card draw, right. your your uh, mana production, your payoffs. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun. I love storm. Puzzle. Yeah. I've, I've timed out more times than I care to admit on Magic Online, playing it in Vintage Cube, but I love storm. Yeah. The number one mm-hmm. cause of people losing in storm is they just time out trying to yeah. go. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, if we're all if we're all offering our favorite magic mechanics, I think mine would be uh, also a controversial one. I think we all should choose controversial ones, the ones that they probably will never print again or will be very guarded to do it. And uh, delve, I would say, I, my Ooh, first modern deck involved, I like that you know, one too. 
yeah treasure cruise i just love the idea like if life is a resource i do think the graveyard should be a resource and whether you're uh i love decks and commander i think one of the best strategies to go with is recursion getting to cast your spells again from the graveyard is amazing but if you're in you know modern legacy things like that using your graveyard as like mana or some other resource is just you know heaven because then it's like your hand your your game board is bigger than it was because you know especially when you first start playing magic the graveyard's just the graveyard and you rarely interact with it but as you get further and further along when you start considering the graveyard like dredge as as uh-huh. being part of the the whole equation and it's a new variable i just love that and i think delve is just the cleanest way of doing it from a game designer perspective like one of the things with x seekers of fortune that we've spent a lot of time on is like how to how to find the right marriage between flavor and mechanics so that mm-hmm, the mechanics mm-hmm. evoke the feeling of something you know and so mm-hmm. just hearing you talk about about delve and, and, and graveyard shenanigans it's like i would love to design a card where the card had flashback but its flashback cost had delve and so like the flavor is like it's absorbing everything wow. else in the graveyard to bring itself back out and it's like well what, flavorfully what is that you know like it just seems like a really interesting Modern Horizons card. <laughs> That's like yeah. the only place it's going to get printed. <laughs> that sounds like it sounds very Dragon Ball Z to me for some reason. Like you know, like oh, I'm so I'm so defeated, I'm so worn down, but somehow that makes me stronger. Yeah, very Vegeta. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Okay, so I was going to suggest I wanted to now focus in on your path, uh, Shank, into yeah. the Pro Tour, and I'm calling this the Road to Plory, which is pro glory and <laughs> glory? glory yeah and i mean i think we've kind of covered this basic topic uh or this basic question but like just to synthesize it just you know going into this section is what has been what drew you especially most recently when you started taking it seriously what has drawn you mm-hmm. to competitive magic that's a great question so could it have been the pokemon I theme song playing in the back of your head I, I I do have that. That's my new motivation. But I, mm-hmm. I described this to a friend recently where in a game of magic, you have so many decisions. It's almost like you have a lifetime full of decisions because there's so yeah. many. And when you're playing competitively, the stakes are higher. So you're more tuned in to that life. So it's almost like when I play competitively, I have the privilege of living all these different lives within a very short period of time. So it's so amazing. So draws out my attention, my love for the game. And there's almost nothing like it for me. How how okay. long have you been playing competitively? Like, what was the format that you first started playing competitively in? And has it always been, is it just whatever you need to play for the tournament? So, like, if it's a standard tournament, you're going to prep standard? Or do you prefer to play modern? Like, how how is that? So, I've always been a limited player. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is, one, because when I first played draft, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to do this all the time. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it was just... I saw how much a standard deck cost and I saw how much yeah. modern deck cost. And I was 18. I was like, I can't afford this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't buy this. So I'll just play draft. So 
let's fast forward a little bit. So I was drafting at Modern F and M's senior years of high school. Mm-hmm. Then went to college. I was 19. I played a little bit online in college through Magic Online. Um, Magic Arena wasn't around yet. So I was doing some drafts on Magic Online. And then the summer after my freshman year of college, I wanted to play in a Grand Prix. And so there was Grand Prix Montreal, which is Montreal. So I grew up in Northern Vermont. So Montreal, Canada is only a couple hour drive from where I lived Mm -hmm. in Vermont. So I went home for the summer, stayed with my parents, worked part-time as a dishwasher and trained for that quote unquote trained for that Grand Prix. I play, I was just grinding magic online drafts of mm-hmm. Shadows Over Innistrad and Eldritch Moon because that was the format for the Grand Prix. Yeah. And I actually, in that Grand Prix, this first ever high level competitive event, I went 10 1 and 1 on day one or, or X 1 and 1, maybe it was 8 1 and 1. So I made day two of that Grand Prix. Wow. Wow. And after that, I kind of dropped off on competitive magic a bit because it's like, oh, this is great. I didn't win any prizes or anything. So making day two was kind of the accomplishment. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then it was like I had this big win, but I didn't really have a next step. I was going back for my sophomore year of college. Um, And it hasn't really been until the past few months for me where I've where I've gotten back into competitive magic in a serious way. I've always drafted at stores and like watched a lot of pro players play on YouTube to try and keep a bit of my edge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is recent for me. What what was um, what was like the 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 moment when you decided, hey, you know what, like. I want to give competitive magic a go. I'm, you know, I'm tired of, of just working and watching magic. Like this is, I'm going to go all in on, on pro magic. Yeah. It's a really good question. In the back of my mind, I've always wanted to do it Mm -hmm. since I was 18. Mm -hmm. Like I I talk about this in my content since I was 18, it was a dream for me, but it always just felt like a dream. It didn't feel like something that I could realistically accomplish. And a big part of that was for me growing up, I was really raised to prioritize education. Mm-hmm. So that's why I prioritized. Mm-hmm. I prioritized my grades. I really focused on school, getting into a good college. And in my mind, it was like, I'll get into a good college. And then from there, I'll get a good job. And then my life set because that's kind of what I was taught. And I was never really happy on that track. I tried different Mm. classes I tried kind of exploring different majors and different careers post-college, but I never really found what was satisfying to me. And so that's when I was really looked in the mirror and said, Hey, what do, if, if I was choosing for myself, what am I going to choose for myself? And that's when I switched to this new track of playing magic competitively and also being an entrepreneur to support and make that a possibility for myself. Mm. Who, who is your favorite pro magic player? Like, who do you like to watch? That's a really good question. That is a really good question. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm sure so I, like maybe I, you're. I was just going to say, I presume yeah. that you're like the one that you think plays the best might not necessarily be the funnest to watch. I mean, the the, the gulf between being an yeah. entertainer and a good player, the, those aren't mutually exclusive skills. Yeah. So there, so there's a couple kind of more common answers I was thinking about, but but I'm going to go with mm-hmm. one that's probably a little less common. Shota Yasuoka. Oh, is, I haven't watched Shota play. Online. He's a Japanese player. Believe he's been in the Hall of Fame. For, for sure eight or nine years now and he plays so fast <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. so skilled it's just amazing to me because i'm such I'm, I'm a much slower on the spectrum and i think about mm-hmm. all my decisions but he plays like lightning fast and he's he's a master of control decks i love to watch him play yeah shut is amazing <laughs> he's aggressively a control player i guess uh-huh yeah he's very aggressively a control personality <laughs> Yeah. Or for deck choices, at least. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure his his fast play is probably also part of his strategy. You know, once you get up to that level of play, you almost have to. You know, you're, you're playing your opponent like an instrument just as much as you're playing the deck like an instrument. So I'm sure it's true, that's yeah. part of his is intimidate. Maybe intimidation. You know, it's like I'm playing fast, so you should play fast. So make your decisions quick, buddy. You know, it's like he's setting the tempo literally. Could be, yeah. Even if you don't say mm-hmm. it, like if if your opponent plays very fast, you feel obligated to play at their pace. And if, if you haven't like developed that sort of like steel of like, I don't care what you're doing over there. I'm not going to pay attention to what you're doing there unless it's like strictly something that, you know, is, you know, game related, even even paying yeah. attention. I mean, you, there's the famous you know um settle the wreckage play that lsv did where he like goes to pretend he's writing it you know and the person thinks okay well it's you know it's it's obviously safe to attack he's already going to write down his his life deduction and then as soon as he declares attackers the pen comes down settle the wreckage complete blowout you know like so you got to be really careful of you know reading too much into what your opponent's doing and i think like Mm -hmm. the dynamic of fast play and playing a control deck has to be very difficult for people because you know, you don't expect someone who's like a master of control to play that fast. You know, they're usually like mm-hmm. way more methodical and like, you know, they're thinking through every decision and they're slowly, but like you, you're like, okay, back to you. And then like you play and then it's like, you know, counter removal, like whatever, like that's gotta <laughs> be like keeping people off balance hugely. Yeah, so totally. Yeah. I, if I played him, I would probably be like stumbling all over the place, like be so nervous, mm-hmm. but yeah, you, you get you out of your comfort zone. Get me maybe, out of my maybe this zone. is where your game needs to develop especially in the it, it's so different i think for people these days because a lot of people are probably grinding in the uh computer space the digital space yeah. where they're not seeing their opponent they just see you know all they can see is their opponent's roping or not but yeah. you know there's you know magic the gathering is meant to be played face to face so there's probably a lot of people who aren't developing their face-to-face like you know uh skills like you know their body language you know looking for tells things like that have you played against any pros yet absolutely so Mm. i think i have online Mm -hmm. i'm not positive but i've been playing in modern challenges on magic online Mm -hmm. which are these Mm -hmm. weekend tournaments pretty high stakes like only people who are coming there to compete at the highest level will play in those tournaments because it's high barrier to entry and they're very long grueling tournaments and the prize pool is big the entry fee is big so i have played in a modern challenge where i saw pros like nathan stoyer carl sarap 
you know, mm-hmm. pro tour, Nathan Stoyer was a, has been a pro tour champion and the world champion. Carl Serap, pro tour top eighter. Um, Aspiring Spike was in that tournament, like multiple pros. I didn't, any of the usernames I played against, I didn't recognize those, but I'm assuming the people who were playing at that tournament were in the pro or close to pro level. So I kind of assume so in that setting. I had one one match on Arena during, um, what was that set? The Commander Boulder's Gate set that came out. Okay. There. And uh, I, I was paired against LSV and he <laughs> steamrolled me. It sucks so bad because it was, you know, like sometimes you just don't get to play magic because you're just like draw. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I finally get a chance. I know I was going to lose anyway, but like I wanted to at least have a chance to play that ga- match, yeah. you know? And it was yeah. like, mm-hmm. why this game? Do I have to just not even, you know, have an opportunity to uh, cast spells? It was like, was I, it too few lands or too many lands? Is too few. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, but like by the like he he had me dead on like turn three, and I was like stumbling to, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. but that's a shame, real shame. I hope to play against pros. I want to beat pros. Oh, you will. Beat them. <laughs> want to be a matter pro. of time. Yeah, I want to be the well, best pro. Uh, well, so okay, so on the on the pathway to becoming the best pro, we should probably for the uninitiated, maybe we should lay out. What is what are what are the path uh, are the steps that you have to take if you are if you're trying to get to the pro tour? What do you have to do along the way to get there? And so yeah. you can understand your journey. So the most common path, which is the path that I'm on, is playing paper in person. So I started by playing in an RCQ that stands for Regional Championship Qualifier, and those are tournaments that are held at local game stores all over the world. So I played one, Joe, I, I'm here in Portland, Maine. I drove out to Southern New Hampshire to play one. It was Lost Caverns of Ixlan Limited. So mm-hmm. sealed, five rounds of Swiss sealed and then cut to a top eight draft. So oh, wow. okay. played in that, it was like seven hour tournament with 20, 25 other people. And mm. I beat them all, I got first place. And I had to do that because only one person from that tournament was going to be invited to the RCs. Now that's how it is for most RCQs. They're usually one slaughter. So you have to be first to get invited. Wow. Now that I won that tournament, I'm going to RC Denver in a week. So that is the regional championship. So by regional, it means United States as a region because these happen all over the world. So this regional championship is kind of like a semi-professional tournament. It's not the pro tour, but it's one step before. So this regional championship in Denver is going to be around 1000 players and the players in the top 32 of that tournament will get invited to the pro tour. The top two from Denver will additionally get invited to the magic world championship in Las Vegas this fall. In addition to that, there's a bunch of prizes on the line, 130K total prize pool for RC Denver. Wow. What, mm-hmm. what, um, what is the next pro tour? Do you know, is it, do you have to go to, do you get invited to a specific one or do you just get to, yeah. okay. Which do you know where, where so, it's going to be yet? So I'll, so it'll be port pro tour thunder junction. Where's and that? That will be Seattle. Australia? So the, this, 
Oh. <laughs> Thunder Junction seems <laughs> it sounds like, like their uh, Sounds like an execution of fortune. Yeah. <laughs> so so the set is called Outlaws at Thunder Junction. Mm-hmm. And that will be in Seattle, I think, in April. Because there's actually Pro Tour Chicago, which might be this weekend, actually. Or maybe next weekend um, for Murders at Carlisle Manor. Oh, okay. So, so Seattle would be after Chicago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now that's the the Thunder Junction. That's the set that they described as being like a, a racetrack that crosses multiple planes of existence or something like that. That sounds right. I haven't delved too deep into what it's about, but this sounds it sounds like Western expansion kind of theme to me. Yeah, oh, okay. it's like I, I think, was thinking Mad Max. It's like oh, a gunslinger. That would be cool like, too. Yeah. At least the the art that they released is like mm-hmm. Oko as a gunslinger. Uh, well, they're not a gunslinger. Not there's never guns in Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> Let me see if there's anything we're kind of missing here. I, I guess I was going to ask you about. Well, that's actually interesting enough where I would love Danny to be back for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, it, I'll just state the pathway seems so. It's like what'd you say? It's a, a, the regional PTQ Pro Tour and then Champions. So it's the is RCQ. That like kind of the arc? RCQ. The, the RCQ is the ones at like the local game stores. Then there's the RC, okay. which is Denver. And then there's the Pro Tour. Okay. And then there's the Pro Tour. That's actually pretty simple. I don't know why, but when I was, and we're going to get into like the before era when Danny gets yep. back. But uh, when I was like kind of flirting with the idea of like trying to take Magic the Gathering more seriously and actually go to real events, I remember feeling like it was just convoluted. Um, like, oh, you have to go to these kind of events and earn these kind of points in order to apply to be at other events where you can then become eligible for the Pro Tour. It seems like possibly it's streamlined or possibly I just yeah, I think never it, really understood it. No, um, I think that's, I think that, that's accurate. Okay. Well, now that Danny's back, we can yeah. kind of get into that question and, you know, that I actually want to ask mm-hmm. and more form, you know, more formally, you know, the Pro Tour was dissolved and shut down a few years ago. Yeah. I remember hearing about that. I wasn't in Magic the Gathering at the time, but I remember hearing that and kind of thinking, Wizards, how could you? And then they obviously realized that they couldn't and they brought the Pro Tour back. So how has it, from your knowledge, how has it changed from what it was before, you know, and what it is now that's been resurrected? Yeah. So I'm not an expert on this question because I also wasn't in Magic when it was dissolved or when the MPL was active. But Mm -hmm. my understanding is that before Wizards of the Coast had much more involvement, both in the Pro Tour, but also the events leading up to it. So there were things called Pro Tour qualifiers, which are kind of the equivalent of the RC, I suppose, but there were also preliminary pro tour qualifiers which were the local game store ones as i understand it and but then in addition to that you had these grand prix so for example when i went to montreal to play in my first competitive first big event that was a grand prix those don't exist anymore and those were a way to get you know 500 a thousand people together playing this really big event have maybe a 20 30k prize pool so the first place gets something nice and i think also if you got top one or two at one of those events maybe you got invited to the pro tour or you got pro points so you were kind of 
you had more options, I think, earlier on in terms of how to get to the Pro Tour. And there were also things like nationals and regionals, which were like um, in states. So you had like each state kind of had a big tournament every year. And I believe all those kinds of medium-sized tournaments were supported by Wizards of the Coast and they no longer exist. Is the uh, MPL still a thing? MPL is not a thing anymore. Okay. So MPL was when Pro Tour drastically changed. They changed the name even. And all of the highest level pro play was on Magic Arena. And there were only like 20 to 40 players in the NPL. And everyone else was kind of sidelined. So actually the players in the MPL got paid very well. And it was actually... A full-time career like it was sustainable if you could be in the mpl that was mm-hmm. a career not and like a good one too you're making pretty decent money but it was incredibly hard for anyone outside of that to break in which mm-hmm. was kind of the death knell for the mpl so mm. then they switched back to pro tour revamped which is what i'm in trying to get to now it's is um with the you know, rebirth of the pro tour, have they brought back like platinum pros and gold, silver? Is that still something of the past? No, they don't have that anymore. So as I understand it, those different tiers would get you different level of benefits, like getting your travel paid to go to different tournaments. And also I think if you're a platinum, you actually got paid just to participate in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to my knowledge, they don't have anything like that. Now all the pro players have to support themselves to get to the tournaments and compete. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure I fully understand. I'm sure there's a lot of good arguments inside the walls as to why they shouldn't do that anymore. But I, I've always felt like that system really brought people to the game and, and made even more people feel like the dream of being a professional magic player was something that was attainable on some level, even if it was just being a silver pro, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that for us, one of my, my, my big goals for X of fortune is making sure that the organized play system is something that players feel like is worth engaging in because they feel like, Hey, I, I could make money doing this. I, I could have a fun lifestyle doing this. I can travel. I can participate in cool things. I can make some money. And um, it's sad to me that like that's gone away from Magic in the way that it did. And you know, I, I, I think you know everything's from the best intentions, right? I think ultimately, mm-hmm. I think that they really wanted to try to pivot towards esports and make sense in the age of Fortnite and you know everything going on that you would want to have a a more digital, you know, game experience for, for, for the, uh, highest tier of, of competition, but it felt like the end of an era in magic that, you know, was really special. And, um, you know, I trust Huey. So I think like the pro tour coming back under, under his sort of, um, you know, guidance, I think is probably going to be a good thing, but just unfortunate that it's not as great as, uh, experience you know as it was in the past you know it was expensive i'm sure but it was super I'm, cool i'm yeah it's yeah. I'm, I'm going to step out on a, a log here maybe i'm wrong but it seems like maybe now there's going to be potentially more pros but they're going to have to like find figure out their own ways of financing their travels and things like that it's like 
more opportunity to get to that level, but less benefits to getting there. So you have to do it more for the passion of it. Potentially. Yeah. I'm not sure how the math plays out exactly. I know worlds last year, 2023 was a very big world. So it was 120 players or something. Mm -hmm. I think the pro tours are still going to be about the same size, same number of invites. Um, but then you also have these regional championships, which have good prize pools, which pro tours pros will just come out and play those because if they're close, because it's just such good prize pools. So in a way, I think you're right. Maybe it's a bit easier now, or maybe I should just say there's more opportunities to qualify for the pro tour now, but mm -hmm. totally the benefits aren't there. Like you don't get paid to travel, which is probably the biggest expense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very prohibitive for a lot of people. I mean, it's just hard enough to find time to take off if you're trying to, you know, squeeze playing competitive magic at that level into having like a, an ordinary life where you're working. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. I had a couple of I mean, questions about self-assessment of yourself as a magic player, if I could. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a few different categories here. And if you could just rate yourself on a, a scale of one to five, one being like, eh, not, not great to five. Like, I think I'm pretty sharp here. So how would you rate yourself as a technical player? Four. Okay. How would you rate yourself as somebody who can build a deck from components? Constructed know? or limited? Uh, constructed. Both. Two. How would you, how would you mm. rate yourself as a limited player? Five. Just five. How would you rate yourself as a person who can read the meta and pick the right deck to play in the meta? Three. How would you rate yourself as somebody who can read their opponent and play the match, you know, against their opponent as opposed to just the matchup? Three. Okay. Okay. I think that's a that's a that's a good assessment. It's a good place to be. So so, <laughs> brewing your own constructed decks is really like the place where you're like, oh, that's not my my forte. Yeah. At the moment. I would love to say five for that category, but it's a hard, I think it's the hardest category because I mean, when you think about it, the constructed environments tend to coalesce around just a handful of decks. And so mm -hmm. given how many magic yeah. players there are to be able to brew a deck that reaches that level of prominence, I mean, that's pretty, pretty rare to be that good I mean, of a deck. Absolutely. You could practically yeah. like, oh, especially with the, like the legacy formats or like, I don't know, <laughs> the non-rotating formats. It's like, you can practically pinpoint the, the time when a new deck went online. Like I remember like in, and name the person who like kind of brought it to prominence it's probably a little bit more of an open field for what is it standard but i have to imagine it's like standard is like just a slow evolution it's like you know what is what we take the aggro deck that was in the last format and then take out these key cards and put in these key cards or we or reinvent it because now aggro has moved from green to being more of like you know white's thing yeah yeah i think that's totally right i th i think trying to brew in a non-rotating format is a Herculean task <laughs> yeah. to try and go mm -hmm. after. Some people can, some people are good at it. I, I would shout out Aspiring Spike as a good brewer in modern who's come up with some totally off the wall decks that see success. I think in standard and 
maybe to a lesser extent Pioneer, a lot of it comes down to card evaluation. So when a new set comes out, being able to see something like Fable of the Mirror Breaker when it was spoiled and knowing it's good is like a really strong skill because a lot of people actually did not expect that card to be that good and constructed. And so being able to see that and then you just throw it into the existing red black shell or red blue shell or red green shell mm -hmm. and yeah. you're not t exactly brewing you're just kind of identifying the good cards and then slotting them into existing shells mm -hmm. i remember when joel and i went to gp dallas um several years ago it was um magic origins limited and okay uh, <laughs> i played and magic origins everyone it was still at that point it was like right at the moment where people are, were starting to realize hey jace fern's prodigy might actually be a good card because everyone dogged uh -huh. it when it was first spoiled and then uh and then it quickly shot up from being like you know a dollar to to like 80 90 dollars per per card mm -hmm. I, I remember people just like scouring the the gp for those cards so but yeah sometimes the community yeah, just totally. misevaluates a card you know, pretty hard. It's tough. Oh, for sure. It's a tough skill. I remember Miss Value. I saw what, what was it the 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 person who turns the planeswalker who turns things into elks. That's Oko. Oko. Yeah, I Oko. Oko I always. Crowns. How do I forget Oko? It's the name of a character in our and X Seekers of Fortune. But I remember looking <laughs> at him and just seeing his first ability and not even bothering to read his second ability, which is the biggest mistake you can make on a Magic card is not reading the entire card. And I just remember being like, yeah. okay, whatever. This is just another lame planeswalker because I'm I'm personally on the side that there's like five. You know, there's like maybe five great planeswalkers, and then most of them are kind of silly. Um, I can willing to be proven wrong. Um, but another thing. And I think this would relate to the the pro experience that I remember from the GP that Danny was. Was it a GP, Danny? The Dallas? Dallas was the GP. Yeah, we, we've only played in GPs. A yeah. GP. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The GP that Danny and I went to with our friend Patrick, I remember the entire time on the way up, I was kind of like in a place where I hadn't played a lot of Magic. I wasn't looking at the spoilers. I hadn't done my homework. And I remember, you know, Danny and Patrick were talking like, you know, like strategy, like, oh, if I get this card during the, the seal, I'm going to make this deck and blah, blah, blah. And I remember I was like basically in, you know, you have to wake up so early. I'm sure, you know, that's like, especially at that time in my life, I was not waking up at like 5, 6 a.m. Um, and then, you know, you sit down and you have to just rush through making a deck in this very weird environment with thousands of people. Oh, yeah. It's and I... Yeah. And yeah, basically, I had not done any homework. I just looked at the cards. I'm like, I don't know. What do I feel comfortable? I just went to my comfort zone, which is usually like, you know, a I guess like it's not a good idea to play this kind of deck in limited. But I I just really fancy like you know decks like a blue green with like bounce like tempo plays. So I just mm -hmm. built that deck. But I was like, I don't feel like I made the best deck with the cards. And I kept going to Danny, like in between matches, I would go to Danny and Patrick. It's like, hey guys, can y'all like, y'all know what you're looking for. Can y'all look through my deck, uh, my cards and see if I can make a better deck. And like my plan would, would have been just to make an entire second deck that was a sideboard and just switch out the decks if they found something. But they, they didn't have the time. We didn't get to like look at it. And then at okay. the end of the day, they finally, like after all the matches are played, I've already washed out. I went probably the furthest of all of us, but I think it was just through tenacity of not dropping. I probably could have dropped way earlier. They finally looked at my cards and I remember I had, I had made this blue green deck, but I had the components for an amazing white black deck that included <laughs> Gideon 
and I want to say uh, a creature. I forget the creature, but it was like the creature that Patrick was like aiming for. He really wanted to get it. It was like a creature that would tap down like just any other like your like uh, the a resource on your opponent's side. I, I forgot exactly how it worked, but it was a basically it was like one of those killer cards, like, you know, a chase uncommon. Yeah, he had uh, a, like so. a A-tier sealed pull. It was like, <laughs> like, he's like a C-tier cards. deck. <laughs> yes. And it was just, you know, but that goes to show like the if you want to go to that competitive level, you can't just show up day of and expect to, you know, pull, put together the best deck. You need to know what what's out there, what's what's higher ranking on the uh, limited list you know within the set itself in the context of the set i had no clue i was just looking at the cards for the first time and i just like was like oh no i got a big blue creature or i have a big green creature i like blue green boom just made that deck and you know played some good matches i still had fun but you know like in retrospect it's like i could have day twoed if i had that i could have had a chance of day twoing with that uh other deck i thought you were gonna say i went through the whole deck day with this okay green blue deck then Danny went through my deck at the end of the day and he found two Okos in my sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be a uh... man. Having Oko in that environment was just like, give me wins. Like if you resolved an early Oko, like your, your opponent would sometimes just scoop. And Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm not it's playing. It's broken. It's yeah. broken in half. <laughs> that's, that's when, you know, a card is heading towards the ban list. If they, if it's just like people aren't even playing, you know, if it's an instant win. Yeah. Well, Throne yeah. of Eldorain had a lot of cards find their way to the ban list. Like it that really era did. with yeah. Magic, there was a lot of cards that just, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, a, it was a rough period. Well, so to maybe to round out and go back to like the more casual fun side of Magic uh, before we step into our other topic of discussion, I guess like, yeah, since you've been playing competitive, um, what has been your favorite era, your favorite sets to be back, uh, to be out, to play limited? My favorite era for limited? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say the Shadows over Innistrad, Eldritch Moon. I, I always think fondly of those two sets because mm-hmm. that was when I played my first big tournament, the Grand yeah. Prix. And I played mm-hmm. so much of the set, loved the flavor of like, the werewolf versus vampire fight going on. And then you have these massive Eldrazi just busting out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And the mechanics were good with the graveyard. That's That'll be my favorite for a while, I think. That was a Delirium set? Yeah, yep, Delirium. Yeah. Delirium's debut. The the cards, because I, I remember I played Shadows of Innistrad and then I, I took a break starting with Eldritch Moon. And the two cards from from Eldritch Moon that I, ha- I still don't have that I wanted to, I just have always wanted to pick up were obviously like Liliana, The Last Hope, and Collective Brutality, like just for okay, my modern yeah. staples, you know. But uh-huh. those are mm-hmm. those still have not been uh, cards that I've I've picked up. But I, I come think and I go. I have a Collective Brutality or two. I, it's in my sideboard of my Death Shadows deck. That would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. I, have, I haven't built a modern deck since. Mm-hmm. I, I, had, I had built out an Infinity deck mm-hmm. circa 20, 2014, maybe. And so, mm-hmm. and it has not been upgraded. It's like definitely <laughs> still in the form that that deck was in 2014. So <laughs> back when it was actually expensive to get Arcbound Ravengers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 
That's a good. The biggest, the biggest hit you can take is to buy a, a playset of something that gets reprinted, like you know, in a modern masters and dr- plummets the price. I think Mox Opal's still somewhat expensive, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not. They haven't did yeah. crater the price on Mox Opal, did they? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think it's still like fifty bucks or something. But maybe I can check and be depressed. I don't know. <laughs> I think the affinity sure deck still modern the, legal. I doubt it is. I mean, that card is kind of busted. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they banned it in that kind of almost kill, like basically killed affinity as you have it built. But then I think there's a new deck mm-hmm. that has a lot of the staples in it. it like, last time I checked, there was like a, a decent aggro deck that was still like was like the new affinity basically. Does it run Urza Saga or like what was that? What yes, yeah, there's a hardened scales deck. I like Hardened Scales. That's a good. That point. has Hangerback Walker, Arcbound Ravager, Walking Ballista, and a ton of artifacts, and that's a that's a strong mm-hmm. modern deck right now. I like Walking Ballista. That's yeah. one of my favorite cards too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anything, I want to say that deck is more deserving of the term Affinity because it actually uses like the Affinity mechanic. I think a little bit more it than does, old yeah. Affinity did. Yeah, actually, old Affinity. actually, that's not true. It uses Modular mm-hmm. a bunch. I don't know if that has an oh. actual. Affinity literal card. affinity card in it okay yeah i need to go back and look at it i was i was eyeballing it every night no- you know how it, it goes with me is like every now and then i get a taste for a taste to play magic again and then i just spend a lot of time researching finding like a deck that's like hmm that's affordable and competitive and then i watch a lot of gameplay of it and never bite the bullet on actually buying the deck or going to any events <laughs> that's how i was for years mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. i I'm trying to remember like the build I had of Affinity. If there were even any Affinity cards in there, I think the only one was I forget what the card is called. It's it was uh, Thoughtcast. Is that it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. The four and a blue Affinity for artifacts draw two. I think Sorcery. that was the the only one that I had in there. Because um, I'm trying to think. Because Arc Arcbound Ravenger just has modular, right? Yeah. And it was Sigil Pest, it was uh, Springleaf Drum, it was, uh, what's the other Cranial Plating. Cranial Plating, okay, well, Mm -hmm. that's not exactly Affinity, but it kind of, kind of is the same Yeah, the plus one, plus zero per. Yeah. I love that. Steel Overseer. Steel Overseer. I don't think my deck, I think I, I think the deck was before the Steel Overseer build. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I don't think I had Steel Overseers in it. I'd have to go back and look at it, but it was fun to play at the time, and it was good. Like I, you know, at least at a, like a local this... FNM level, like it was, it was solid. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember you was... doing pretty dang well at our store with that deck. Yeah, and that was an era before Pod or Splinter Twin had been banned, and so you know. Oh wow. You know, they're they're yeah. definitely bigger, uh, <laughs> bigger. Bigger uh-huh. sharks in the water to worry about than my affinity mm-hmm. deck at that time. All, I, I all built this talk uh, about modern. Yeah. Go ahead, Joel. I was just going to say all this talk about modern. Uh, that may, like maybe one of the last questions we should ask about Magic: The Gathering specifically mm-hmm. and the Pro Tour is if people are interested in playing the Pro Tour level, like is it still like what uh, construct is constructed still mostly standard, you know? And how is standard working at this point? It's like two sets back, three sets back. So it's, so it's interesting. The Pro Tour, mm-hmm. the last few Pro Tours have been Standard, Modern, and Pioneer. And okay. I believe this upcoming one 
and Chicago is going to be standard. So it's really a mix. Actually, no, is the upcoming one maybe modern and the next one's standard? I'm not sure, but it's really a mix of different constructed formats now. Mm -hmm. And standard is interesting because they've extended it. So it's yeah. now three years, I think, mm. of, mm -hmm. of cards. Um, three years of sets are now standard legal. So you have more time to kind of like use your collection to make decks. And mm -hmm. it's not just rotating in and out like that. So do you ever play yeah, competitive that's... legacy? No. <laughs> if you got invited if you were to, a... to play competitive, <laughs> yeah, Go which deck? I was just going to ask which deck in competitive legacy would you bring if like you were going to probably, an event? Probably something like Delver or Death Shadow, something like with really powerful cheap creatures um, and some counter spells. That's kind of like what Team mm -hmm. Rhinos is. Mm -hmm. um, I like that style of deck, but honestly, I haven't really followed Legacy because a super expensive b they don't play it on the mm -hmm. pro tour so i'm yeah. not gonna play it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's it's a big flex is like if a pro player is able to get to a level where it's like well i'll just i'll just screw around and play some you know side event legacy or whatever yeah that's that's above my pay grade right now <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully yeah. someday it won't be but talk about things that aren't above our play pay grade i'm calling this section the stuff we're going to post to TikTok. Shank, you've gotten a chance to play X Seekers of Fortune, the game that we play, and we just were curious as a uh, somebody who loves competitive play. You know, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts on X Seekers of Fortune? So, as a Melvin Spike, I absolutely <laughs> mm -hmm. love X Seekers of Fortune because I've got my counter spell, I've got my disenchant. <laughs> I don't have to worry about getting mana screwed. Because I get to draw a land every turn, more or less. I get to draw a Lotus Petal every turn. That's basically what a lead is. Yeah, that's true. And mm -hmm. in X Seekers of Fortune, I feel like I'm always in the game. I think it's really well designed in that sense, where it has catch-up mechanics where your opponent can develop a lead on you and get ahead. But there's all these different twists and turns and just how the final quest is set up. Mm -hmm. this slows them down so you can kind of get there um so I, so i love x seekers of fortune i i love the resource management how all the all the different choices you have as a player of the game and you have so much agency and i think the flavor is good too i think you guys chose a good setting that you were familiar with and, and kind of nailed it on the artwork awesome thank you well, yeah. appreciate you saying that that's well, promising <laughs> do you have a favorite uh, well speaking of that do you have a favorite art or a favorite uh action x card from the game so i think one of my favorite cards is the thirsting stone <laughs> and i forget exactly what it does but i know it's good and it's interesting because when i first i saw the original or the older art of the thirsty stone i thought it was so creepy and i was kind of afraid of the artwork it was like this stone with a mouth <laughs> mm -hmm. but no eyes and mm -hmm. now it's like 
a rock hand with a hole in it and everything's glowing purple and it's it's sweet so that's i think you can draw extra action x cards with mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. with, and that's my favorite thing to do in the game so i like that card yeah action x cards that get you action x cards are probably the best action x cards <laughs> just like book, in magic you know card draw is exactly, probably yeah. one of the most strongest abilities Sweet. Um, I had uh, one more one more X Seekers of Fortune related question of Danny if you have any yet to come off the top of your head but uh, Danny and I have recently been talking about making a competitive uh, or not a competitive but a constructed format for X Seekers of Fortune essentially you know making your own action X deck and you know showing up with that or you know before the match maybe even every single match constructing a new action X deck that you want to play against your rival um, do you have any opinions on what kind of deck you would probably make uh, in X Seekers of Fortune competitive and uh, maybe any thoughts about how you might would like to see it uh, formatted or like like deck construction limitations that you might want to see implemented. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So this, this may be a controversial opinion, mm -hmm. but I actually love that I don't have to make a deck for X Seekers of Fortune. I can just mm -hmm. show up and play. And it's still a very competitive environment. You can still have like a tournament environment mm -hmm. playing that way. I think if I were to construct a deck, I think I would go with something very aggressive and assertive because mm -hmm. from that spike mentality here, completing your maps is, an, you can't interact with that. I guess there's outfox. But I think that's the only card. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, completing your maps, there's no way for your opponent to interact with that. So if you have a way to very, very quickly, on like on the first or second turn, get to the final quest, mm -hmm. you've almost just won the game right there because you just need to draw some leads at this point and complete your final map and you'll win. So I, that's probably where I would start if I were to construct a deck for Action X. Somewhat of like mm -hmm. an aggro plan. Like how do I... It's funny because like yeah. in, in X we kind of consider the aggro deck and the ramp deck to be the same deck. Cause it's like, you know, it's like the, the rituals the kind of, yeah, it's, yeah. It feels like you're, mm -hmm. you're just trying to, to complete adventures as quickly as possible. And so, yeah, it's a, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting right now. Cause we're in the process of designing the competitive multiplayer environment. And this is the first set. Obviously it's only the second set that we've designed, but, it's the first time that we've done it with with draft in mind and so like trying to build okay. different draft archetypes and like making sure that there's like enough crossover um you know it's definitely an interesting experience to kind of think about okay well what are the different archetypes of strategy for x seekers of fortune and you know where where do we where do we expand to to make more room for different strategies so be interested to see what what people react to with the, when they see the next batch of cards. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's cool because I don't think I realized it until this Tuesday or maybe the Tuesday before, but the different colors of leads have distinct themes. Mm -hmm. Like red is kind of the aggressive color, and mm -hmm. purple is kind of like draws you more action X. And mm -hmm. I did I did just that it's totally <laughs> over my head at the start but then i was like oh wait these guys are kind of going for like different archetypes even within just the base game where it's all mixed up i think that's really cool 
Yeah, yeah. We're, we'll experiment with that over time, but it's definitely there. I mean, I think we wanted... It's it's so different than magic, right? Because you don't commit to a color the way that you commit to colors of magic. You know, like you're yeah. you're like, okay, I'm going to play this because I have to put lands in my deck because of the way you get a lotus petal every turn, as you put it. You know, it, it allows you to play different colors. And so really the difference between the different uh, lead identities at this point is, is, is mostly about flavor and letting players, mm-hmm. like, find the lane that they like to play in especially when they're you know thinking constructed or or drafting when you're just peeling off the top of the deck it's a little harder because you're just kind of playing five color good stuff you know but it's not a bad place to be (laughs) so to clarify for constructed players would be would construct just the action x deck yeah not the not the adventures or the leads correct yeah they just mm -hmm. interesting cool yeah, yeah, that would be that would be really interesting to see. Yeah, I think it would be fun. I mean, personally, I think drafts the draft kind of style that we've come up with, and I think we need to do some more experimentation there. I think that's probably ultimately where I would like to see the majority of competitive play go is like drafting a deck before going into the game and then playing uh, uh-huh. like the match with the whatever deck you drafted. But in the competitive sense, I mean, I feel like we do need like one extra layer of limitation and one that wasn't suggested to us is every action x card is kind of like a legendary so if i were Mm -hmm. to play follow the river and then you drew follow the river out of your deck you can't play it any longer and so all you can use that action x card is for it would be for bartering or other like you know payment type things so uh i think um andy suggested that and that might be Mm -hmm. the the method to go in because uh i will let you know uh tuesday night x Laird and I, uh, the last thing we did together was uh, do a quick constructed uh, deck uh, game. Um, And we compared our decks at the end and 10 of the 15 cards, we decided to go with 15 card constructed decks. 10 of the 15 cards were the same. So I'm just like, you know, (laughs) obviously we've identified what our favorite or what we think are the best cards. So there needs to be some level, there might need to be some level of, well, I don't want to run the same cards as my rival because, because of this factor. You want to try to maybe, you know, go outside of the box, you know, incentivize diversity of cards, that is. Yeah, I could see that just happening as you print more Action X cards, because as I understand it, there's not, there's under 50 now. There, yeah, 36. Yeah, exactly. There'll be, uh, hopefully, hopefully within six months or so, we'll have, we'll be up to 70. It'll be over that, because there's, right now... There's the base 36 well, plus Mimic Mac Ancestral okay. Dream and then the five test cards that are in the environment. So that what brings us up to what 42 in the environment and then there'll be another 36 mm-hmm. coming with the next round. So that'll put us up to about cool. 78 different cards. That'll start to make it a little bit more diverse, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, we often talk about X Seekers of Fortune, like, you know, eventually being like kind of a cube, like almost cube-like in the sense that you show up, you, you can get together with like six or more friends and draft out, like have a big action X card that everybody drafts out of. And then you can play one-on-one games with each other and do round robin or play one big uh, multiplayer match. And I think the number we decided yeah. was to get six people to draft out a 10 to 12 card deck would be around 72 cards. So if we can get up to like having about that many cards that all work well with each other and have synergies hidden within them, 
I think we could, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that could be the box. You're, you're bringing a box with your leads, your adventures, and about 72 Action X cards uh, to, you know, play with mul many of your friends, like four to six players. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I really like to see that. And, and the thing, another edge that I think X Seekers of Fortune has over Magic is I feel pretty daunted to try and teach my friends magic. I've done it before. People who had never seen the game before, I've gotten them up to the level of going to pre-releases. Mm -hmm. But uh -huh. X Seekers of Fortune is much more approachable to me where I could just sit down, you know, someone I know who's generally interested in games, be like, all right, here are the basics, and we'd be off going to the races. I think it has a lot of potential in that multiplayer scenario that you described. As, as Jay Crane said last week, he feels like he could teach someone to play X Seekers of Fortune in 15 minutes at a McDonald's. <laughs> you know, it was like... <laughs> yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't wait to be stopping by my local, local Mickey D's and seeing some folks play X Seekers of Fortune on the benches. I would like to... <laughs> I would like to... It would be fun to go to a pre-release together at some point. I would, You know, maybe we can find our way up to Maine and go to a pre-release with you sometime. That'd oh, yeah. That would that'd be very fun. Yeah. Yeah, once once we get the game released, we're going to have a lot of excuses to go to a lot of different places. So hopefully Maine, maybe not during the winter, <laughs> maybe not even during the spring. Uh, I could use an escape Summer's from Texas during the summer. Here. I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm, uh, so I'm down. That would be great. I've always mm. wanted to go to Maine. Nice. Well, Shank, um, I guess really quick, was there anything else we wanted to talk about with magic, with X Seekers of Fortune, with life in general before we move on? Um, I guess to d I would like to talk just a little bit on my content and kind of like yeah. how I'm, what oh, yeah. I'm doing during well, the day in addition to playing magic. Mm -hmm. so, sure. So first of all, I always like to yeah. ask Shank, where do you want people to find you? Let it lay it out right now. Mainly YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then also TikTok and Twitch. Those are my three platforms. And you can also... Find everything on my website, shankpig.com. Okay. Oh, wow. Perfect. And that's, is, and on your handle, is it shank underscore pig? Shank underscore pig everywhere. Okay. But I'm assuming the website is just shank pig one word. Exactly. Yep. Okay, cool. Just wanted to lay that out. And what kind of content do you make and uh, how would you like people to engage with you? Yeah. So I have one series that I've been doing since may of last year called card of the day so every single yeah. day i go over one card from the current draft set the current uh most recent standard legal set and talk about the strategy of how i would use it in draft why it's good the pros the cons and that one i release every single day so there's something new and then more recently a couple weeks ago i started another daily series that i typically release uh one each weekday, so Monday through Friday, and that's called Road to the Pro Tour. So that's more of like a vlog style, me just mm -hmm. me talking to the camera saying, hey guys, this is what I did today on my journey to the Pro Tour. These are the cards I picked up. These are the matches I played, lost these games, won these games, you know, practiced this much, am talking to these people, met these pros or these local players and et cetera, et cetera, what I'm doing to prepare for the regional championship in Denver. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, 
you really do have like the road to the pro tour might as well be the subheading of your content right now exactly yeah i think people you have like want to play competitively (laughs) should should watch you though because i think it is it is good to see what it's actually like to have to grind at the lower levels because oftentimes people see content of people who are already on the pro tour yeah so i I think it creates a lot of value for anyone who's interested in in making this journey for themselves sorry joel i cut you off what were you Mm -hmm. saying Oh, no, no. I, I just had a little flavor to add. I was going to say you should go on on YouTube, find somebody who can really shred on guitar and commission them to make your like, you know, montage guitar riff, you know, soundtrack. So you can just like every time that you do a, a compilation video, like you can just have that music that you own to th- throw in under it and make it sound like a real, you know, rocky situation. I love that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely think about that. And, and to expand yeah. on your point, Danny, absolutely agree i think it's a missing link in the content we have available to us now i see lots of pro players playing and recording their videos and also on twitch and i see a lot of people playing on arena more in just like an entertainment sense they're not pros but they're very entertaining to watch and play magic but what i haven't seen is like someone the step-by-step daily tasks that you're doing to try and make it to the pro tour and what that's like as a human being because it's very taxing and so that's what i want to show the world and get people excited is like this is a real thing we can do there's challenges but this is my dream and i'm going to try and accomplish it is there like a pro tour diet that you have to follow i haven't been i just try (laughs) to eat relatively clean but it's a lot of fruits vegetables Rice and lentils mm-hmm. and coffee. There you go. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Rice and lentils, <laughs> fruits and vegetables. That's the key. That'll make you a better magic player. Love there it. you go. All right, Danny. Do we want to do a little a bit of key takeaways, Danny? Did you pick up anything particular that you want to underline from what Shink had to share with us? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, my number one thing is that I think just people should follow Shank on all of his platforms. Mm-hmm. Um Super insightful. If you are someone who enjoys playing Magic the Gathering and you're someone who um, thinks that they want to play more competitively, it's super valuable to get uh, get onto a stream that Shank's on, like if he's on Twitch, and watch him play because no doubt he's walking you through his thinking. And it really helps you start to get into the mindset of like, what are the considerations that somebody who's playing at a high, higher level is thinking about? And also just understanding exactly what you have to do in order to progress up the ladder and play magic at the higher tournament levels. The other thing I would say is like Shank is is relatively uh, new in his content journey. So a lot of the players that you're going to go watch on Twitch, there are so many people in chat, the odds that you're going to get reacted to are much lower. Right now you actually have access to Shank. So if you join his Twitch, you ask him questions about magic, you're much more likely to have a conversation and that's going to help you on your journey. So if you have any interest whatsoever in playing magic at a higher level, I would a hundred percent recommend following his TikTok and joining his Twitches and, 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 and joining him on that journey. Cause you'll, you'll gain a lot of value just doing that. Nice. And I can wholeheartedly agree with that. And I'm looking forward to watching some of Shank's, uh, you know, videos and hopefully maybe even uh, inspire me to get back into Magic the Gathering. I still love uh, Draft and I would love to participate mm-hmm. in one uh, in the near future. But if, you know, 
just want to let everybody know that if you love this conversation, please like our video on YouTube. We, we, we come begging, we come hand and fist for you to like the video. And while you're liking the video, while you're down there, just go over there and press that subscribe button as well. And, 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 and ring that dang bell if you love getting your, your content, your uh, Mega Moth Studio Super Secret Podcast content hot and fresh right out of the oven, right as Will finishes editing, exporting, and uploading, you'll get that message to come and join us. So please consider that. And if you're more of a listener than a viewer, we are available on all of the major podcast platforms. Anything that catches a podcast, well, you can catch us just like a shooting star in the eye of a twinkling child who wants to make a wish. So catch us there on your podcasting app. I thought you were going for some sort of like STD kind of thing there like at first. Well, I guess so. The, the word child really freaked you out there, didn't it? Yeah, I was like, no, Joel, no, no. <laughs> All right. Well, Danny, I, I, I don't know if you got yourself prepared, but I actually you know, sat down and had enough time to come up with a something random this week. So if you aren't, if you don't have something or you're not like particularly like in love with what you have, we could save it for another week and I can run the something random. Yeah, you run it. I, I thought you said you were going to run it, so I didn't prepare something, but then I wasn't sure. So then I started preparing something uh, while we were on the show, and uh, I would much rather you to just do your thing. So. Okay. Well, Danny, just to make sure, to make sure your, your show notes are closed, because I have it written right into the show note with answers. No, no. I've got, I've got Shank's YouTube page up. I'm, okay, I'm great. YouTube. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me get into... Let me get into character been watching a lot of at midnight recently the clips online and just like loving the game show format so i just wanted to make up my own little game show clip uh a game show format thing okay what do we win so shank respect for me (laughs) (laughs) less (laughs) um we're all about the value joel yeah, How are you, you, you keep, win this spray uh, bottle. A, a key for keeping, yeah, this is this is what I use. The weapon I use against Winston when he starts chewing my microphone wires. This is a key piece to my home security of keeping Winston at bay. So you okay, can win okay. that you know, magical weapon of uh, for feline, you know, plus 10 against felines. Winston so Shank, you know a <laughs> lot about slinging spells, but let's see how much you know about slinging drinks. It's bar back to basics. The way this game will work <laughs> is that I will name a standard cocktail and you must provide me the base alcohol, which traditionally is vodka, gin, vo- um, whiskey, rum, or tequila, and one other ingredient. If you, can get, uh, if you can get it, you get a point. And if you don't get it, you get lightly roasted by me, your bartending daddy. So are you ready for Sounds this? Sounds good. This doesn't feel Absolutely. Consistent. All right, Shank, I'm going to start with you. And uh, your first drink up, vodka, cranberry. Vodka and cranberry. (laughs) Ding, 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 Shank, you got yourself a point. Let me make sure I write that down here. I'm going to get uh, Shank and Danny. So, Shank, you get one point. All right, Danny. I already know how this is going. I have one. That's fine. (laughs) Danny, I have for you the Aperol Spritz. Uh, it's Aperol and Prosecco. And, All right, Danny. Uh, you, oh, do you want to go for bonus points? No, I'm, I'm mm. fine without bonus points. <laughs> okay. You're correct. It is Prosecco and Aperol with a splash of soda water and an orange slice for the garnish. Yeah, I was going to say right. soda water, but then I, I second guess myself. 
Oh, all right, Shank. Second question. You are you are tasked to make a whiskey ginger. Say that again. A whiskey ginger. Okay. Um, never heard of this one before, but I'm gonna go with whiskey as the base alcohol, and I'm gonna go with ginger beer as another ingredient. That is more or less correct. Technically ginger ale, but ginger beer and ginger ale are pretty uh, interchangeable right. at the bar. Excellent. All right, Danny, your next <laughs> drink is the, the illustrious French 75. This is another Prosecco-based drink. It has, or it could be champagne, and it has egg white in it. And the is it is it made with with vodka? I mean, I can picture the I'm drink. Uh-huh. Final answers, Danny. I feel like it, it. I feel like it has lemon, egg white, champagne in it, and either vodka or gin. That is. Uh, I don't think it's okay. gin though. I think it, I think it's more neutral than that. Hmm. Well, that's not the way I make it, Danny. I will say, but I mean, you did get some of the some of them. Technically, you did do right by getting two of the ingredients, but uh, unfortunately, egg white is definitely off the beaten path of most French seventy fives. You might be thinking of a whiskey sour. No, I'm pretty sure I've 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 had a, a French seventy five that includes egg white. Okay, maybe, possibly just a local bar's like twist on the French seventy five. I have it here as gin, simple syrup, lemon juice, champagne, with a lemon twist. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I got close. Uh, yeah, I, I think you got close enough for. Oh man, I might actually have to have come up with a tiebreaker, which I didn't. Um, so Shank, I'm actually stepping it up a notch for you. Let's go. This one doesn't have the ingredients right in the name. What is in a martini? So martini, we've got. Um, dry vermouth and uh, usually vodka correct yeah if you got the dry vermouth i think you were going to get there on that one though uh, i I will say as a bartender often when people order martinis all they want is like three ounces of vodka chilled and they don't want that vermouth at all oh that's true you put the vermouth in and you splash it out right and then you put the vodka in it's called a rinse, yeah. That's how a lot of people like it. I personally like the vermouth in the drink itself, but most people, you'll just pour the vermouth in the cup that's going to, uh, in the glass that's going to get the uh, drink. You swirl uh-huh. it around, you dump it out, so it's only like the uh, just a, sm- a small coating around the glass <laughs> to give you that vermouth flavor. And Danny, Sweet. I have one more for you. Oh, that's oh, shank it through, right. Danny. Let's see if you can. T- let's see if you can tie. Mm-hmm. Your final drink is a Negroni. A Negroni? Yeah. Is that what you said? Negroni. One of my favorites. This is another Aperol drink, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> with, with a... Maybe the way you make it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um... Can I help him out? Yeah. I mean, I if, if Danny's willing to let you steal. 
Yeah, go go ahead and steal it. You got one one ingredient's Campari. (laughs) Campari. Okay, yeah, I knew it was like a red, because that's red, right? Yeah. Dark. It's a dark. Yeah. I thought it was Campari and Aperol, though. So, I guess I'm Mm. off. Okay, well, I'm going to give a half point... <laughs> when in doubt, splash some prosecco in it. It's like it makes it bubbly. Uh, that that's like a good way of tampering, or you know, like jazzing up any drink. Um, and uh, the the Negroni is gin, Capari, sweet vermouth with an orange twist as a garnish. Ooh! All right, all right, gentlemen. That makes okay. the score. We have Shank at three and Danny at two. So Shank is the winner. He gets the spray bottle that slays kitties, or at least tells them to get away from your cords because you need those to record your podcast. You're gonna have to ship that, Joel. So, oh I'm my goodness, I'll ship it with the water inside. Let's we'll see. Let's see how much water makes it. I'll fill it all the way to the top, and you show us how much water makes it. I'm gonna need that before Denver. <laughs> and I think that you should fill it with a Negroni before you send it. <laughs> and then, like, I feel like I could... when the judges come, because I'm cheating, I just spray it at the judges. Be like, hey, stay away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Magic magic judges are quite <laughs> feline in their personality, their temperament, aren't they? Why isn't it more of a thing for cocktails to be served in spray bottles? Like, I feel like I'm surprised it's not more <laughs> of a thing. You know, like you. That yeah, I don't know. It seems like it would have been like a. a uh, early 2000s fad for like you know what you you know inside uh, uh spring break areas i could just imagine spring break people getting served you know spray bottles full of cocktails and just spraying it into each other's mouths oh, yeah yeah you know yeah and and you know tight pants and halter tops or whatever was the fashion of the time all right gentlemen well all right. uh, so shank you've already plugged yourself uh and why they should follow you but just to remind them in case they don't uh, they they tuned out or they forgot. What is your handle and what are the main places to find you? So my handle is shank underscore pig everywhere. And I'm on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch. And you can also find everything I do at shankpig.com. That's just one word, shankpig.com. Excellent. Danny, any, uh, any announcements we have that you want to get in? Anything uh, fresh off our minds? No, no, I just uh, wanted to invite Shank to to throw some uh, throw some aggressive words at 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 Jay Crane for their rematch because Jay Crane's oh, been talking a big game on TikTok, and uh, I want to give Shank an opportunity to respond to. Uh, I know Laird weighed in. I think Laird wants another piece of Jay Crane. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, in case you forgot, Jay Crane, X Seekers of Fortune as a card game is both a game of luck and skill. So the more games we play. <laughs> the more we will find out who the truly better player is. Let's go. Oh, 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 oh. Well, you heard, heard it here first, folks. Shank, J-Crane, rematch is on the way. And let's see if we can get like quite a few games in under y'all's belt. See who really is <laughs> the true fortune seeker. Well, that has, been, uh, <laughs> that has been Shank, and this has been Danny, and I have been Joel, reminding you that you must start somewhere, so why not here? Thanks for listening. Theme music by James Holden, produced and edited by William Wymore. Don't listen to Joel. He doesn't know how to make a necroni. <laughs>